Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everybody, welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with, as always, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. And guys, fresh off the presses, we have the re-rank of the prospects. That's a new top 100 prospects in every team with a new re-rank of their top 30 prospects as well. Um, this takes into account all the newly drafted players and, of course, how seasons have gone so far. First half of seasons, players on the rise, players who have had disappointing first half. So it's great stuff, and it's available right now on MLBPipeline.com. And we're going to dig into it a little bit here on the podcast. Um, let's start, guys, with the top 100 and even get tighter into the top 10 because there's a new number one. And and usually with, with the top 10, we see guys kind of slowly move up and, and the new number one comes from a guy that was previously number four or five. But that's not the case here. Alex Bregman is the new number one prospect in the game and, and he's already in the majors with the Houston Astros. Um, but he jumps up from a preseason ranking of, I believe, 22. That's a big leap. What did Bregman do in the first half of the season, guys, that, that allowed him to jump this high? I'll start with you, Jim. Yeah, I, I think we knew the bat was good when he, when he went number two overall in the draft last year. And I think it's been even better than we expected. I mean, Jonathan and I were talking to him at the Futures game uh, the day before the game. And, you know, he's got 20 home runs already this year in 80 games in the minor leagues. And and, and I asked him, I said, you know, is that a change of approach? Because, you, you know, in college, if you, you kind of get aggressive with the bat, with the way the bats are and the balls are, you can get, you can get yourself out in a lot of places. And he said it was definitely – a new approach that once he got in a pro ball and he realized you know, he could turn and drive pitches on the inner half, uh, and he started to do that. You know, I think the fact that he went to double-A straight out this year and performed, he's leading the Texas League in on-base and slugging percentage. We got promoted to triple-A, and he you know, was hot right off the bat there, went to the Futures game. Uh, you know, I think he's 0 for 9 in the big leagues right now. He's only drawn a couple of walks, but I'm sure he'll turn that around. I, I just think that the ceiling on the bat was even better than we realized, and he's not a bad shortstop either. So, you know, a lot of shortstops at the top of this list, and I just think when you compare him to the other middle infielders, I think he's got more defensive value and a little bit more floor than Yohan Mankata, who's at number two. You could argue that either way. Um, I think he's he's a better hitter than J.P. Crawford, who we have at number three on the list. I think he's a better hitter than Dansby Swanson, who we have at number five on the list. And, you know, I, I think he you know, potential. I think he's a better hitter for average and has more defensive value than Brendan Rodgers, who's number eight on the list. A lot of, a lot of middle infielders on the top of this list. 
It is certainly middle infield heavy. Now, Jonathan, we saw uh, Bregman at the at the Futures game. Uh, he ended up almost hitting for the cycle in that game. Uh, how much when you when this comes out, you know, a week later or a little after the Futures game, guys that had big performances on that big stage, how much does that go into you guys when you start discussing and arguing who should be wearing this list? Are you implying that one game shifts our, our evaluation uh, process? I'm calling, it, I'm calling it a showcase game against the best players around. Yeah, listen, it doesn't hurt him, but <laughs> I don't, you know, he could have gone 0 for 4, and I yeah. think he'd probably still be the number one guy. Um, you know, it's a couple of things that, that stand out, you know, aside from the things that Jim pointed out. In those 80 minor league games, he walked 47 times and struck out 38. You just don't see that at higher levels very often and with all the other numbers. I remember before we even started talking about the top 100, uh, Jim does the top 30 list. But, you know, it's hard to keep track of everybody's numbers during the season. But all of a sudden, Jim sent me a message like, Alex Bregman's got 20 homers. Like, we hadn't realized that he was already up to 20. I mean, the power is more than we thought. Um, I think everything is more than we thought. And... um and I agree with what Jim said. I mean, he looked good at shortstop. I think Yohan Moncada is the only other player we could have made a really strong argument to, to be the number one guy. But uh, to be honest with you, it wasn't much of an argument. Uh, myself and Jim and Mike Rosenbaum, uh, our third musketeer uh, in this process, all had Bregman as the number one prospect. So Bregman is up now with the Astros, and we I anticipate he'll be up there for good at this point. I mean, he's going to help out that team. He's already proven that he can kind of play all over the diamond and fill in and, and get at-bats that way. Yohan Mankata still down at double-A. How far away is Mankata? Could we see him in September, or are we not going to see him uh, until sometime in 2017? Jim? The only question is where you play him in September, because he, he's, you know, he's played second base in the minors. You know, Pedroia is still going strong. You could put him in the outfield, although you could make a case that Andrew Benintendi could fill that outfield void, and, and Andrew Benintendi is actually an outfielder. Uh, you know, I think long, you know, I, could he play in the big leagues this year? Yes. I, I bet we don't see him, only because, you know, you have to add him to the 40 man roster, and I don't see how they get him regular at bats. Now, going forward, I, I could see a scenario next year where Yohan Mankata would maybe be Boston's third baseman and Travis Shaw would be the first baseman and Halen Ramirez would be the DH with David Ortiz retiring. I could see that. Um, and as well as he's played and, he, and he's you know hitting for more power, I mean, power's really come out with eight homers in 29 games in double-A. Uh, you know, he, he's actually got more homers than steals after having 36 steals and four homers in high A-ball. Uh, I, I just don't know how you get him regular at bats. I mean, is it possible that they call him up so he can kind of uh, observe the the majors without a lot of like not in a big role? They could, although they're going to be in the playoff race. And I don't know if you just want extra bodies, you know, hanging around who who really aren't going to get a chance to play much. But it would be interesting. I mean, you could use him as a pinch runner. So I, I, yeah. I guess I'm talking myself into it, but I just don't see how, how you get him regular at bats. You know, maybe after the minor league playoff season's over, they'd call him up toward the end. Yeah, I would. I mean, let him just from pinch running, you can. And and then, and then if you need to, with some reason, you, you need to make a switch or whatever, and, and he could play second base. I wouldn't throw him in another position. But keep in mind, you know, you point out he's played just 29 games in Double A. That's 20, only 29 games above A ball. That that doesn't mean he couldn't contribute. But I don't think the Red Sox are in any real hurry to to get him up there in, in order to contribute. So I think at best 
uh, I agree, like a September call up and, and let him use his speed off the bench to help him. Now, Brigman has kind of burst onto the scene, obviously, drafted just over a year ago, and Mankato is the big bonus guy, international out of Cuba. Uh, number three prospect you guys have right now is J.P. Crawford, who seems to be different. It's just been kind of a, a steady climb for J.P. Crawford, and he was number three, stays there, um, and he's pretty much knocking on the door at this point. Um is he a little different than those two? Is Crawford still have that ability? Is he going to be a guy that could be a star at the next level? Or is he more of a steady, he's going to be your shortstop, solid guy in your lineup? Well, I mean, we have him third, and we have a 65 overall on him. I mean, yeah. That points to being more than just a, a steady regular. Keep in mind, he's in AAA now. He, he's 21. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it seems like it's been kind of slow and steady. Uh, but, you know, he was young coming out of the draft in 2013. And, uh, you know, they've pushed him fairly aggressively. Um, it's been a little up and down, but he's another guy with really uh, a really good idea at the plate. Uh, his walks and strikeouts are about even. Um, has he hit as well as I think people would like to see from a top, top prospect? No, no. But he's, I think he's hit enough given his age. And he plays a really good shortstop. Um, you know, he's a better defender than Bregman is, even if he's not, you know, hitting as well. So I still see him as a guy who is going to uh, be more than just a steady everyday player. Yeah, and I'd agree with all that. I mean, he's controlling the strike zone very well for a young guy against much older players. I think he's going to hit for a high average, high on base guy. He, he's not going to be a big power guy, but I think you're talking 12 to 15 homers and a potential gold glover and shortstop. Like Jonathan said, I mean, Bregman is going to be a better offensive player, but he's going to be a better defensive player. And, and you know, comparing him to Mankata, you know, Mankata, the, the one thing Mankata doesn't excel at, I'd say Mankata's kind of an average defender, and, and he's an average defender at second base, who, because of Pedroia, probably will go to an even less challenging position going forward. So um, I, I think that's where Crawford gets the value. And I agree with Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, would you, well, you know, if I'm a Phillies fan, would I love to see him hitting 300 with 10 home runs right now? I would, but, you know, he, he's still controlling the strike zone as well as he ever has, and he can steal a few bases, too. He's, uh, yeah, I still like him very much. I think this guy's a, a future all-star for the Phillies. We should talk about some pitching on this list as well, but a lot of these guys in the top 10, I feel like we've kind of, We've gone over who Lucas Giolito is. We've gone over who Julio Urias is. Those are two guys that have gotten some time up in the big leagues now. Uh, Tyler Glass now at number 10. But number 9 uh, is Alex Reyes. And, and I don't think we've talked as much about him on the podcast. We saw him at the Futures game. Um, and the stuff is obviously electric. Um, the Cardinals have had some spots here where they, they've needed a spot start. They they didn't go to him. And you look at his numbers right now, and they're not great down at the minor league level. I assume that's mostly because of the the command and control issues still. And is that the only thing he still has to figure out, Jonathan? Yeah, I think so. I think people saw in the futures game not to take too much from one performance, Tim. <laughs> um, but you know what what his stuff looks like. I mean, it is premium stuff, especially you know the fastball, breaking ball. Uh, he's got you know the changeup has gotten better. Um, but it is it is all about command. You know, 27 walks in, in 55 innings. Uh, it, you know, he, he is going to need to improve upon that. Uh, could he help them if they need a start? Yeah, I think he could. Could he help them down the stretch 
if they shortened him up and put him in the bullpen? Yes, I think I think both Jim and I have been pounding on the table for you know, uh, you know, for, for for that possibility, and it's probably a better role for him at least for the time being. Not you know, not long term, uh, you know, but they've done that the Cardinals in the past in terms of having a guy sort of ease in coming out of the bullpen. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they're giving up on, on him as a starter long-term. He had been throwing really well, and it's just his last his last few starts have been good. They, you know, there, there was some buzz because they took him out after three innings of his last start, just in case because the Cardinals have a need uh, coming up this weekend, so there's you know, speculation. But he gave up two runs, but he struck out seven in, in three innings. But he only walked one, so, so you know, <laughs> that's good, but... He, he will get out. So it's just a question of what role you want to use him in, uh, depending on how much you trust his ability to find the strike zone consistently. Uh, you mentioned the former other Cardinals that have done that. Obviously, Adam Wainwright started in the right. bullpen. Carlos Martinez started in the bullpen. Michael Waka was in the bullpen a little bit. It's definitely something they like to do. So you would think that that is a possibility. And, and I think you've talked about it before, Jim. This Cardinals team hasn't really needed any help in the rotation. Maybe they've needed help because guys struggled earlier in the season, but they've been healthy all year. So there hasn't been a scenario where, oh, no, we have an injury. We need to plug in Alex Reyes. Yeah, I mean, the, the disastrous Mike Myers start the other night where he gave up nine runs and inning a third aside, that's literally the only start they've had made by not one of their, their five starters to open the season. So has it been the opportunity? Uh, you know, with Reyes, I mean, he's going to be a starter long term. Hasn't pitched great this year. I mean, striking out a bunch of guys, but walking a ton, getting hit a little bit more than you'd expect for a guy with a, a fastball that can reach 101 miles an hour. I think he probably needs to work on the changeup too, uh, to, to maybe keep people off the fastball a little bit more. But, but I'm with Jonathan, and, we, and we've said it before. I mean, I, I would ease him in into a big league role in relief, and and then next spring, you know, if, if you think he's going to make your rotation, you know, use him in that role. But but I think it would make some sense to give him some exposure. I mean, I mean, you guys know I'm the guy who's been saying that about Julio Urias since he was 17 years old. I thought he should have been on their their 2014 playoff roster <laughs> yep. in Los Angeles just as a situational lefty uh, that they could have used. And uh, you know, so it's like I don't see any harm in doing that. It's like Earl Weaver used to break guys in as middle relievers, and I don't think you'll see that happen. But you know, let him get his feet wet without you know expecting him to go six or seven innings at this point. All right, I feel like we could talk about these top ten guys all day, but let's move sure. on to to teams. Uh, and teams that, as you look at the the top 100 and the new re-rankings, have the most loaded systems. And I love the prospect points that you guys go with. And pretty simple, right? Breakdown, number one, Bregman gets 100 points for the Astros, and, and then number two gets 99, 98, 97, like that, all the way to number 100. And um, when you look at the prospect points and, and how it breaks down, uh, I believe the Pirates come in in the top spot. Is that correct, uh, Jonathan? Yes. Yeah, 383 points. Now, I feel like there should be a disclaimer uh, because what invariably happens is people see that and then we see tweets like MLB.com names Pirates top farm system. Right, which is not that is not what we're saying. All all that is is a is a way to quantify their presence on the top 100. Doesn't mean that the Pirates who are first, the Red Sox, Nationals, and Yankees are tied for sec in, uh, in points. You know, Houston's got the most players with seven. They're next. Does that mean they all have good farm systems? Yeah. I mean, those are all teams that have solid farm systems. 
largely because they have so many top 100 guys. But the, the, this is not a, a flat-out ranking of, of farm systems top to bottom. Right, because it doesn't take into account all the players outside that top 100. Right. And obviously, when you break down 100 players among three t- 30 teams, that's you know that's three a little over three players per team, and you have a lot more than that. So, so it doesn't give in to depth. It just gives in, I guess, to to star power. But overall, when you do look at those teams that that you kind of mentioned, Houston, Pittsburgh, Boston. They have to be in the discussion for best overall system. But if you had to name right now, I guess without actually officially naming who the, which team is the best system right now, um, who else is in that discussion when you think about depth? Jim, you want to go with that? Yeah, and, it's, uh, and I will I will silently curse you since this is a family-friendly show because anytime I'm asked this question on any podcast or radio show, I always tell people you can't just say who's going to have the best farm system unless you actually sit there and break them all down specifically, which I'm going to do next week. So I, I will I will silently curse you but not audibly curse you for putting me on the spot. That's no, good, I mean, though, because we can talk about it again next week. That's right, but I'll have more specific answers. I mean, right. I think the Rockies have a very deep system. I think the Dodgers have a very deep system. Uh, you know, they did not crack the top five in prospect points. Uh, the Phillies have a very deep system. You know, I like the Brewer system, but I will say, you know, I think for a while I've been saying when you look from the start of 2015 to the beginning of 2016, the Brewers improved their farm system more than anybody. And I do believe that. And they still come in, I think it's ninth in prospect points. But I will say, I didn't write the Brewers, but just looking at their system, a lot of their top guys are not having very good years. Like, like a little disappointing, uh, you know, the, the guys over there aren't having better years. Orlando Arcia. It's kind of like the J.P. Crawford year without the good straight-up-the-walk ratio. You know, for a guy at Colorado Springs, who's one of the top prospects of baseball, I expect a little bit more. You guys know I love Josh Hader. Had a sub-1 ERA in, in AA. Has a 6.42 ERA in AAA. You know, Trent Clark's been banged up a little bit, and the numbers are, are good, not great. Brett Phillips is really having a disappointing year. You, you could go on. I still like the system, but that was one system I was like, eh, you know, I, 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 you know, after looking at how guys are doing and talking to people a little bit, I don't know if I love that system as much. But uh, it'll be interesting. I, I, I really have no idea. If you ask me right now specifically who's got the best farm system in baseball, I, I, I don't think I've studied enough to figure out who I think that might be. And you'll be ranking the top ten. I think Tim did ask you that question. <laughs> no, no, he said which teams have the depth to be considered among the best. That's I believe. true. See, I, if I, we play the tape back, I so I could see if he'd asked me who had the best farm system, then I would have audibly cursed him. So <laughs> I, I only silently cursed him because of I was, the question. I was just glad he asked you instead of me. So see, see what I did there. Uh, all yeah. right, um, we <laughs> moving on from the teams back to individuals a little bit, although it plays into that. Um, we're going to talk about guys who are on the rise and, and falling uh, as far as prospects go. And interesting that you just brought up the Brewers. Uh, and because you did that, Jim, we're going to actually start with a negative and guys that are falling fast because of the 10 players who have kind of dropped the most, there's actually two Brewers on that list. So that kind of plays into what you just said. But players falling fast, um, Dylan Tate. Drops from 36th in the top 100 off the list. Uh, Anthony Alford uh, goes from 42 off the list. You have a, got a lot of guys falling off the list. So Dylan Tate, 65 spots down. Alford, four, 59 spots down. Ryan McMahon of the Rockies, 53 spots down. Um, those big droppers. Let's start with Tate, I guess, because here's a guy who is a really high pick of the Rangers. Um, 
a big right-hander for the Rangers that, that they thought could be a front-line type starter. What has gone wrong in 2006 with Dylan Tate that, that has forced him out of the top 100 from a preseason ranking of 36, Jonathan? He's just, it's funny, he actually started the year kind of like gangbusters um, and was putting up some ridiculous numbers there, being very cautious with him. Uh, and I kept waiting uh, for them to promote him because he's in low A ball and a college guy. Uh, and then he just started getting hit hard. Um, and, you know, every time you look at his, uh, you know, at his starts, it's just, you know, for, for a guy of his caliber to have a 303 batting average against, um, and a 4.9 earn run average uh, is uh, is rough in, in in the South Atlantic League. He's uh, not even he's not striking out a batter per inning. Not that that's the benchmark, but uh, you know, 23 walks and 60 and two thirds innings, and he's appeared in 16 games. So he's not exactly pitching deep into games uh, at all. So it's just. Uh, not uh, not been going well so far for the number four pick from last year's draft. Yeah, one of the things that's always interesting, I was just going to throw in there, is, is, is how guys are going to adapt to the long pro season and how their stuff's going to play. Like, I, I do the Royal system, too, and Ash Russell, we thought might have had as good a stuff as anybody or the best combination of pitches, top two pitches, out of the high school arms last year, and his stuff's been down. He's only pitched two innings, and with Tate, the stuff has been down. He got off to, like as Johnson said, a very good start, had 16 strikeouts and 11 innings in his first two starts. They strained a hamstring and missed three weeks, and he just has not been the, the same guy since. And, you know, on the Rangers list, we only dropped him to number five. I gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt uh, because it's been kind of an odd sort of year for him. But it's just the stuff has been been very disappointing, and, and it's just again I, you know, I don't know how much the hamstring plays into it. I, I ran into him in spring training. I, I was over at the Dodgers complex in, in Glendale and saw him in a minor league game on the backfields, and I saw ninety seven, ninety eight, and I saw the wipeout slider. And if you'd asked me then, I would have thought Dylan Tate would have been in high A by now and was going to move very fast. It'll it'll be interesting to watch him going forward because he's not a big physically imposing guy had only started for one year in college, and I do think there were some scouts who had a question, is this guy going to be able to make it as a starter? And, and you know, again, I do think maybe the hamstring played into it, but it's been a been kind of a shocking year from him. As far as guys that uh, have dropped but stayed in the top 100, Sean Newcomb fell 39 spots, 21 to 60. Robert Stevenson, right-hander for the Reds, uh, 35th to 70th. And then Carson Fulmer falls from 33 to 71. And he's a guy that, that got the call up to the White Sox. We saw him in the Futures game, guys. Obviously, the Vanderbilt pitcher that drafted out of college. Um, that actually surprised me because I didn't realize that he had had, in any way, a disappointing season. Or maybe that's not the right term. Jonathan, what's the explanation behind Fulmer? Yeah, you know... I don't know that I have a good. I mean, he, he. I mean, if you look at the first part of the season, uh, he really pitched poorly, uh, and you know, first over the first two plus months, uh, really, he 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 didn't throw well. Uh, you know, his first half numbers in Birmingham had a 5.82 earned run average, 42 walks in 68 innings, and 72 hits. So you know, he didn't throw well. He started. Um, to get back to throwing the way he did in Vanderbilt, which was very quick tempo, uh, 
Jim and I have talked about this ad nauseum. You know, some people thought it was you know too violent or too quick, and that's why he would end up being a reliever. But it worked for him. They they tried to slow him down. He tried to slow down, and it and it didn't work. And then right before the futures game, he actually you know threw two really really good games and one okay game. Um, but I think it was the, the the drop was mostly based on the previous whatever thirteen or fourteen starts where. It looked like he still has work to do, especially in terms of, of, of command. Jim, what are your thoughts on, on that? So so you're saying that while he's dropped, he's actually kind of back on the on the rise again. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't so. think ahead, that – I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I don't – like Jonathan said, I mean, looking at that, I mean, he may be – he might have been a tad high coming into the year and a tad low right now. I don't think a whole lot has changed with him, like Jonathan said. I think he's been better since he's gone back to pitching the way he did uh, when he got drafted. Um, I still believe in him as a starter. I do think, I know when I was I was filling out my ballot and and I, I was I was looking at where I ranked him because it's like that does seem like he came out a little bit lower, but I ranked him 70th on my list and I looked and I'd say the vast majority of the pitchers I did move ahead of him are guys who throw more strikes than he does. Uh, you know, he's been, you know I, I do think he deserves a little bit of a mulligan for you know somebody tinkering with his delivery a little bit and also starting him in Double A as a starter in his first full professional season. Um, while he hasn't been terrible. Uh, you know, that makes it a little bit difficult. So um, I, I still like him. You know, I, I guess I, I voted him there. I, I, he came out almost exactly where I voted. I, I probably like him a little bit more than that, although I, I realize that statement makes no sense. So uh, <laughs> I still fully believe in Carson Fulmer. We all obviously also have some guys that have really made leaps in the top 100, uh, the top two as far as that goes. Aloy Jimenez, uh, outfielder for the Cubs, who wasn't even in the top 100. He's all the way up to 33. Ahmed Rosario of the Mets, a shortstop for the Mets, jumped 61 spots from 79 all the way up to 18. And Jimenez, uh, has is it kind of been... Uh, Jim, has it been that he went from being kind of an unknown player to now everybody kind of getting what he is as an outfielder, a guy that can that can play the outfield well and also hit? Uh, I thought you were going to ask me if uh, his performance in the Futures game is what we're well, on. I, I think we've I, covered that. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I don't think he was unknown. I mean, he was he signed for $2.8 million. He was the top-rated prospect internationally in 2013, and I think it's just more a case of, of those guys take time. I mean, I, I, I'll, Jonathan can touch on this when, when I'm done with this, but I think the hardest guys to rank are international players. One, you know, Jesse Sanchez does the bulk of our work on international players, and two, they sign when they're 16. You don't see them in the U.S. for a while. You know, you, the difference between where they are now and what they can become is usually huge, and it's tough to figure out where to rank them. I want to say we had Jimenez in a deep cub system I think we ranked him 10th coming into the year. Um, you know, so it wasn't like we had him buried on the list. He was pretty high up, but it was more a case. You know, he hadn't been to full season ball, um, and he got to full season ball this year, and I think he's been much better than anybody could have anticipated. I mean, he, he's 19, which is very young for the Midwest League. It's a very difficult place to hit. It's very cold in April and parts of May, and, and I think in general it, it's a pitcher's league, and he's hitting 330 with 11 homers, uh, six steals, you know, I think he's going to be mostly an all-bat guy. He's got a strong arm. We did see him make a tremendous play in the Futures game. We saw him hit a home run and, and look good in BP. But, you know, this guy was a top-rated prospect internationally in 2013 because of the power and the offensive potential, and he's really showing it. So I think it's more a case in his case 
that he's really having a breakthrough year. And, and it's there are other guys having breakthrough years, uh, and you have to balance. Like, okay, you know, this guy might be having a huge year, but the tools aren't big. Well, this guy has big tools, and he's having a breakthrough year, and he's exceptionally young for the level he's at. Um, and so I think that's the combination of factors why why he jumps up. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, you know, the, the international guys, you know, when we do these re-ranks, I almost wish we didn't consider them. I'm not saying that they don't belong. You know, I had the Braves list this year, so Kevin Maytan, who's the, the the greatest international prospect since, you know, insert great international prospect name here. Uh, you know, so he, he belongs on this, but, but, you know, he's 16. And I don't, you know, I don't, even know how to compare him to guy, high school guys out of the draft. I mean, it's the, the equivalent of trying to put, uh, you know, a high school sophomore on, on one of these lists. So it's just, it's so difficult um, to, to try to, to get an eye. And the first to admit that I tend to be very conservative. I'll leave guys out. I want to see them play some sort of professional baseball first or hear about what they do in instructs. There are some exceptions. I had a few teams where, you know, I put some of these 16-year-olds on, but uh, you know, for the most part, you, you sort of need to to wait. It's the exception when a guy uh, takes off almost immediately and gets to the big leagues at age 19 or 20. Uh, you know, and the fact of the matter is that it seemed like it was taking Eloy Jimenez a long time. And as Jim pointed out, he doesn't turn 20 until the end of November, so you know he's still way ahead of the curve. Um, so there's plenty of time, and I think. He was 33 now. I could see him continuing to, to move up this list in the following years. Um, obviously, one of the reasons we do this re-rank, uh, or you guys do this re-rank now, is that it, it, it makes it a lot easier when these trades start happening before the trade deadline to really understand the value as far as the, the prospects going the other way go. And obviously, we've, we've already seen some of that with the, uh, a couple of trades already made or a, a handful of trades. They started early, but, but as far as this week goes, the big one obviously was Monday and Aroldis Chapman going to the Chicago Cubs, a deal that seemed like it was in the making since, since opening day. But finally, uh, it happened, and the Yankees – get a great package out of this as far as prospects go. And we're going to get into which teams are best equipped to go out and make that big move. But let's start with that trade for the Yankees to get Glaber Torres, Billy McKinney. So basically at the time, the Cubs number one and number five prospects. Then they also get Adam Warren, a major league pitcher, and Rashad Hawkins, who is outside the top 30, but another minor leaguer. Um, that's so much more than they gave away to get Chapman. It's quite a deal. But let's get into those players. And and it's Torres. I mean, he was the Cubs' number one prospect. Um, that was before these re-ranks. Uh, Jim, if the re-ranks had gone through, was he still thought of at that at that level to be a top type prospect? And and now that he joins the Yankees, obviously he's he's right there at the top of their list. Yeah, he well, he would have been number two besides Wilson, behind Wilson Contreras, okay. who will graduate off the list in about a week. And I, I agree, I, it's definitely a lot more. Despite my 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 strong admiration for Rookie Davis, which I, I like to harass Jonathan about uh, when he does the Reds list, uh, they did. I think the trade this this trade makes the Reds look bad. I, I know. You know, they were dealing with the fallout from Chapman's arrest or, you know, the incident he was going through. 
they didn't get much for him. They, they, they got four. They didn't get a high ceiling player like Torres. I, I do think when we look back on this trade three or four years from now, I, I'm actually not that blown away by the package. Billy McKinney. You talk about guys who he, he kind of did the opposite of Eloy Jimenez this year, uh, Tim. Where his you know, he, he's an all back guy who was always a great, very good pure hitter. Mixed reports on his power and not much in the way of, of speed or defensive ability. Left fielder and this year. The bat hasn't been as good. The power's down. I think the Yankees did a nice job of buying low on him. But essentially, you know, beyond Adam Warren, who's a big leaguer, this boils down to Gleyber Torres. I think it's a great pickup. One of the best shortstop prospects in the game, number 26 on the top 100. He's a 19-year-old. Same international class as Jimenez. Um, and he's already a level ahead of him. He was in high class A. Slow start, but, but, but recovered. to hit well. He played very well in Midwest League last year. I think this guy's going to hit for average. I think he could be talking 15 to 20 homers, solid speed, could play short, although the Yankees have a lot of shortstop prospects. Who knows where he'll wind up? Uh, I, I think to get him in a deal for a rental for Chapman is tremendous, although I think two factors why the Cubs were willing to trade him is, one, where are you going to play this guy in Chicago? They, they still have more young players in the majors and minors, best young group of hitters I've, I've ever seen doing this stuff for 25 years. You know, his natural positions – Shortstop, okay. Well, at shortstop, you have 22-year-old all-star Addison Russell. You know, at second base, you have Ian Happ and Javier Baez, two former first-round picks, are going to be slugging out for who can play second. You can't move them to third because you have Chris Bryant, and they've got about eight outfielders jockeying for spots in their outfield, too. So it's, it, I think he was – not that it makes his talent any less, you know, valuable, but I think it made him more expendable in Chicago just because – you know, some of these guys aren't going to have a place to play. And then I think, secondly, when you factor in that they haven't been to a World Series since 1945 and haven't won it since 1908, I, I think the the Cubs, you know, not that they're just going to give prospects away, and I think Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and those guys value them, but I think the Cubs have a little bit more incentive to try to win when they have a chance to win than, than most franchises do. And you're getting the best closer available. I think that's a key to this, too, is that they got the best guy, Jonathan, for that package. Yeah, they did, although, you know, unless they sign him to an extension, it's for two months. Three months, right, yeah. Um, so you'll have to wait and see. I'm still just stunned that Jim finds a way to uh, get in rookie Davis <laughs> comments where they're really not uh, appropriate nor relevant. Um, by the way, I moved rookie Davis up. He's in the Reds' top. 10, but, you know, I didn't get any kudos or a card or anything. No, that was a good job. I was more like, Jonathan, I was more covering myself there because if I if I bashed the Reds' return for Roldis Chapman, then I'd be indirectly bashing rookie Davis, which I did not want to do. So, Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so that pretty much covers that trade, and obviously um, hopefully we'll see a lot more deals here between now and the trade deadline, which is, of course, Monday, August 1st. Um, but as far as teams that are in the best position, now listen, I, I question how many big moves we're going to see this season because when I look around, it seems like the asking prices for the star players are so high that it's going to be hard to get a big deal done. But maybe come Sunday night and Monday, those prices come down a little bit. Maybe we'll see something big. But when you look around the market, obviously the Cubs are one of those teams that that had the players to go out and make a move, and they've done it. And I would think they're done as far as making a big move. Maybe they'll still make something small. But let's talk about other teams that, that are equipped to go out and get it done, to make that move that can put them over the top. Um, 
If you had to pick one more team, Jonathan, that really stands out as a team that needs to make a move and really has the players to do it, who would you go with? Well, you know, there's some of the some of the teams are teams that have already made made moves. Um, you know, the Rangers. Uh, you know, we didn't break down the big Lucas Harrell trade, um, but uh, you know, they gave up Travis Demerit, who uh, would have moved into their top ten. Um, they, you know, they managed to make that big trade for Cole Hamels last year without giving up Joey Gallo or, or Lewis Brinson. They still have they still have some some talent in that system if they wanted to. To, to, to dip into it. So, uh, and then the Red Sox, who have also been busy, uh, you know, in the in the trade for Drew Pomerantz, uh, have a, a good amount of uh, top 100 and just outside of top 100 type guys that uh, they could consider dealing. So, those would probably be the top two teams, I think, in terms of uh, high level and depth of talent. Those seem like the two teams that I would have thought if anyone was going to go out and, and kind of blow away the White Sox for, for Chris Sale, I thought it would be one of those two teams. But because of the deals they've now made, I feel like that's just not going to happen, and Chris Sale is going to stay in Chicago. Um, Jim, is there another team, or or maybe go the other way? Is there Are there teams that need to make that move, and, and they just don't have the pieces? I mean, the Orioles and the and the I, the Orioles kind of stand out to me as a team that that needs to make a move, but do they have enough pieces to get it done? No, I don't think the Orioles can go out and make a move. To be honest, uh, I, I think they're the, the obvious team uh, that, that's a playoff contender. I'll tell you, my sleeper team to make a move though, it's the Indians. I mean, I think the Indians have a legitimate shot at making the World Series. They they have good pitching and defense. They could use some offensive help, and I really like their system. And the way their system is kind of stacked up. You you have guys you could trade. Like, you could trade Clint Frazier or Bradley Zimmer, and you're still going to have the other guys. You're still going to have a center fielder in the upper levels of the system who's going to be ready to help soon. You could trade Brady Aiken or Justice Sheffield. You're still going to have a very good left-handed pitcher who's in the kind of the, the middle, lower levels of your system. You know, they've got guys who are blocked at the big league level, like a Mike Clevenger, who, who I think I, I really like him. You look at the AAA All-Star game when I saw him. I think Clevenger's a guy who could pitch in a lot of rotations right now. He got a brief chance earlier in, this, in the year and has not had a second chance. So he'd theoretically be expendable. I also another guy I saw in the AAA All Star game who, who did a little bit of everything that night and is hopelessly blocked is, is Eric Gonzalez of the Indians. Um, he's not going to take shortstop away from Francisco Lindor. He's up right now. He's gotten six at bats with him. But, but I think Eric Gonzalez has got a chance to at least be a second division regular um, and maybe a little bit more than that. I like him, but he, he's blocked. So I think the Indians, yeah, I don't know if we might see an Indians trade for, for Jay Bruce or something. But yeah, I, I'm with you, Tim. I don't think we're going to see a lot of major moves just because I also don't think there's a lot of good players really available for trade or at least for you know a, a bounty that, that the team that's given up the players is going to find reasonable. But I, I do think if we see a major move, a major move for a hitter, I, I keep thinking the Indians might be the team that acquires it. It seems like the the no-brainer for the Indians is Jonathan Lucroy, but they seem to be talking that down and that it's not an option. Maybe that's just posturing. We will see. But with Jan Gomes out, I thought they would immediately maybe jump in and, and make that move for Jonathan Lucroy. We will see. All right. Hey, this has been a lot of fun, guys, going through the, the top 100, the top 10, obviously, in all these teams. And there's so much more information about this available, obviously, on MLBPipeline.com. So get out there. Check out your team's new top 30, who's on the way to the the big leagues um a few notes going forward obviously next week jim mentioned it we'll have the top 10 jim top 10 organizations 
Uh, yeah, right? I'll probably do top 10 farm systems. Top 10 farm systems. And on Monday, the day of the trade deadline, uh, 12.30 to 1 o'clock, chatting cage on MLB.com. Jonathan, you'll be a part of that along with me as we kind of talk about, hopefully, some big deals that are going <laughs> on uh, on Sunday and into Monday as we approach the, uh, the non-waiver trade deadline. All right, guys, thanks so much. This has been... The Pipeline Podcast. I'm Tim McMaster. I want to thank Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis for joining us as always. And tune in again as always next week. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.